Google, did you ever chant, sticks and stones may hurt my bones, but words can never harm me? I did, but I always wondered, is there any truth to this particular cry of resistance? Whether in the playground or in the media, it seems that slurs and stereotypes do have the power to not only crush the spirit, but also to reinforce the type of unconscious bias that feeds into continuing forms of historic injustice. Hello, my name is Sister Zai Zander. Welcome to Accent of Women, a show by and about women from culturally and linguistically diverse communities all around the world. Today, we chat with Pacifica writer Winnie Dunn, a Tongan Australian. She manages and edits at Sweatshop Western Sydney Literacy Movement. Winnie grew up in Sydney's western suburbs and knows from experience how important it is for young people of colour to tell their own stories on their own terms. In an article of hers published in the Sydney Review of Books on the 21st of July 2017, Winnie Dunn argues that Oceanian and Pacifica people must be in control of the events, dialogues and policies that define their fate. They need to be the primary and lead creators of their own narratives. To that end, they need the space to create and tell their own stories in their own way. Through Sweatshop, Winnie empowers marginalized and misrepresented young people to heal and to tell their own stories on their own terms. Let's hear more from Winnie Dunn about ideas and strategies for speaking truth back to power using literature and art. The colonizer cannot undo colonization, no matter how much they want to or how much they think they need to, it's just impossible for somebody in a position of power to undo something that benefits them. So then having Indigenous, Brown and Black people starting to have conversations with each other and organising arts and literature that is centred on that dialogue of healing the wounds of colonialism in which we kind of all share on various levels is really empowering and exciting to see. Can you tell me about some of the spaces that you're involved in currently where there are people of colour taking the lead in um, organising those dialogues? Yeah, amazing. So I'm part of a Western Sydney grassroots organisation called Sweatshop, which is a Western Sydney literacy movement that values employment and training for people of culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds from Western Sydney. So Sweatshop's goal is to to train culturally and linguistically diverse writers how to write and what it means to write their own story or our own story in our shared Western Sydney space, in our own way, and to value our culture as a form and artwork in literature itself. So it's been really great to be working with Sweatshop because we work in public schools where... Uh, in Western Sydney, where 90% of the students will be culturally and linguistically diverse or have a refugee status. And it's been really great to work with those kids and work with more older and established writers to create a Western Sydney literature culture. How did you first become involved with Sweatshop and what is your current level of involvement? Yeah, okay, so I got in contact with Sweatshop uh, through our director, Michael Mohammed Ahmed, who's a Lebanese-Australian um, author. Um, I met him at a university workshop, and I was 
kind of maybe the only person of colour in the room. So we were kind of bonding over this experience of having such a well-known Lebanese-Australian author and me, just a Tongan-Australian student sitting in the classroom. Uh, so it was really great to meet him. And then he invited me to switch up. And then kind of a few months later, I became the manager. So that sounds really fancy, but um, I just do a lot of administrative work and a lot of mediations of workshops um, in schools. And why is it that literature has become the site where you are now negotiating this issue of cultural representation and self-representation? Great. So um, in my Tongan culture, and for a lot of um, brown and black cultures, we have a long history of oral storytelling. Um, Bunakis, especially um, uh, very highly regarded poets and music composers and choreographers, of the Tongan culture. And so being brought up in that, I was always aware that my own grandmother was a Bunakia and a storyteller that was highly regarded in our community. So I kind of always grew up in her stories and I was always interested in writing stories. But when I first, when I was younger, I just used to write characters who were named Jane or Stacy or Jessica. Um, and they would live in New York or they would live in London, and it had nothing to do with me or even Australia. So then to go to university and to be part of Switch Up and to finally be aware and involved and in love with my Tongan culture has naturally just moved me towards writing and writing literature, so mostly poetry and prose, which you know, Tongans have been doing for as long as we've been around. So it sounds to me that if you were writing characters by the name of Jane who were living in like Western metropoles, that there was a, a level of rejection of your culture at some stage in your life? Yeah, absolutely. Um, because I'm of mixed race and my grandmother was um, arranged into a marriage with a white man and had children... I also carry um, a colonial history um, that my grandfather that I've never met has passed down. And so I used to think acknowledging that was important or something I'm, that I should have been proud of because there's a lot of self-hatred um, in terms of not being from the colonial culture and being brown or black-skinned in the Tongan culture is, is kind of looked down upon because, yeah, there is that history of self-hatred. So when I was growing up, I used to call the Tongan food that my nana used to make, like, buwaka and sipi dog food, because I was wanting to be white for so long. And so I would write stories that would reflect kind of my self-hatred. I didn't know that at the time, but that's what I was doing. And so to unlearn that process um, has been really huge for me in terms of um, my own personal life and my career as a writer. And a lot of this transformation, I'm assuming, has taken place with your involvement with Sweatshop. Absolutely. Um, having a space in which is solely for culturally and linguistically diverse writers from Western Sydney has been really empowering because they understand what you're going through and they understand the process 
that you need to go through in order to make kind of self-love and literature happen. So Sweatshop recently produced an anthology called The Big Black Thing, Chapter One, um, and it is a first issue in a new series of prose and poetry by emerging and established writers from Indigenous, migrant and refugee backgrounds of kind of all ages and genders and sexualities. So it's been really exciting to be involved in that um, and to be an editor on that as well. And we recently launched it at Sydney Writers Festival. The kids from Liverpool came all the way to the city um, and they were kind of blocked out. These are refugee kids from, you know, Syria and um, countries in Africa. And so it was, it was just wild that they were locked out of their own book launch. So then we kind of had to chant protests to kind of let the kids in to be part of their book. And, um, yeah, there was just a lot of old people in the audience who didn't want to get up <laughs> and so um, a lot of sweatshop members had to give up their seat for the kids to come but the kids loved it we gave them their books and they were so excited and you could just see the transformation in their own faces being like wow my story is so important that it was in a book and it got launched in the city of Sydney which is you know unimaginable for them when we first started workshops with them. Um, it's always very fascinating for me to hear um, how people or how colonialism has transformed geographic space uh, mm. so that in the mind of the colonised person, there are very clearly places and spaces where one is not supposed to enter mm-hmm. and there are also clearly professions that perhaps one thinks one shouldn't even be there. That's what I, that's what I hear when you talk about these young people being locked out of their own book launch and then feeling a sense of uh, elation at having their you know work actually published acknowledged their work in a form that has historically not carried their voice and then to be in the city so the center of the city Mm. uh, often people who are marginalized live on the boundaries is that is that how you might interpret that as well yeah uh definitely um and i just think the way it played out showed um, that there's still power dynamics of colonialism that we still, as marginalised people from um, the violence of colonialism, still have to unpack for ourselves and for, you know, our own communities because, you know, a lot of people like to say, oh, colonialism was 200 years ago, it's gone now. But that, that event just showed how very present it was and that there are ways to unpack them and take control of that situation now, which is exciting. We often talk about, because here in Melbourne we're having similar discussions around diversifying um, uh, historically white spaces mm-hmm. um, and institutions. And one of the uh, terms that we use is cultural safety in that we can have access to a space, that's fine, but is that safe? Is that space actually culturally safe? Is that a discussion people in Sydney are having as well? Yeah, so um, Sweatshop is all about taking over traditionally white institutions and spaces. I mean, our own office is in uh, the University of Western Sydney, in which we all know universities are very much the foundation of colonialism um, and of that history so 
the way we make bases safe is that we excluded them just for culturally and linguistically diverse people and we just work and employ and train culturally and linguistically diverse people. So then when you when we enter those traditionally unsafe spaces, they become safe through familiarity and creating a community that's very diverse but does not have kind of a white mediator to facilitate that. So I, it becomes safe through that way. And I, I completely understand that approach. Um, it, I want to play devil's advocate for a second. So sure. for the people who say um, you're creating a ghetto, what would your response be? <laughs> creating a ghetto? I mean, <laughs> Western Sydney itself was created as a ghetto <laughs> because um, colonizers didn't want black and brown people in the spaces they took over. Um, so, I mean, the history of Blacktown, which is a city in, uh, which is a suburb in Sydney, was created because they uh, forced and uprooted uh, First Nations people out of their um, homes um, and moved them all the way to Blacktown, and it's called Blacktown because obviously um, First Nations people are black. So, um, there's there's no way in which. Um, culturally and linguistically diverse people from Western Sydney could create a ghetto that was already created due to violence, colonial violence. So, so um, if it's not a ghetto, yeah. then what you're actually saying is that by creating or by creating these spaces, these safe spaces, which are exclusively for culturally and linguistically diverse people to reconnect with culture and mm-hmm. then to use that um, rebirth and, and in, in terms of the self-love for, for Cult yeah. for them, well, love for themselves and love for their culture, which I call self love. Mm-hmm. They're then able to transform some of the the literary forms that they're using in order to yeah. express themselves. Yeah, absolutely. So one of Sweatshop's goals for our writers is that we get in touch with um, our languages and we use that in literature to transform the way that we write. So most writers usually only have one language, and that language is usually English. So to have kind of Vietnamese, Tongan languages in our writing and our collection uh, for Switch Up has been a great act of self-love and a great act of transforming uh, literature. But for those of us who are not in touch with our languages, as might be the case, um, we get in touch with the language of Western Sydney, which has its own kind of vernacular that's really exciting and unheard of. So um, we use those languages together to transform literature, create love for ourselves. I find this really fascinating and interesting because I wasn't very in touch with my uh, mother tongue. I could understand it, but not yep. to the depth where I could have a, 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 an extended conversation with my grandmother per se. So colonization was doing its work even after colonization. Um, and so, the, the you know, when we start talking about people who have their own vernacular, like urban languages that are, you know, people do tend to, we, we think, sometimes we think of culture, what I'm trying to say is, sometimes we think of culture as something that is traditional and existed in the past in a place that is distant from where you are now situated, both temporally and geographically. But what I hear you saying is that culture is in fact dynamic? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so... 
um, the culture of Western Sydney in itself um, is its own kind of hotbed of, of different cultures, you know, from black American uh, hip-hop to the, the fur you get down the road in Cabramatta. And the way that we express those languages and those spaces become its own language. So I mentioned in my essay that Pacifica communities will use the word us and uso and toko and skucks um, to create their own friendships and communities, and that's the way we express them. So, yeah, culture is definitely dynamic and it's always changing, and I think it's always related to the spaces that you're in um, and that you exist in, in and out of every day. So the depictions that we have of Pacifica in mainstream, what what are your thoughts about that? You do write about that? Yeah, I do. So um, the the first one, which I think is the most detrimental and important to talk about, is the Pacific solution in which we have, Australia has taken asylum seekers and put them in offshore torture camps uh, and kind of let them just rot there and um, which um, not only creates, you know, a negative impact for Australia, but also a negative impact for Manus and Nauru and the general Pacific because we see that in neocolonialism, the Pacific is so poor that it will take kind of blood money from Australia to house asylum seekers and for them to be abused and tortured and for the Nauruan and Manus Island workers who are connected to those camps being paid so little for their time and employment, which has all come from a very violent neocolonialism in which Australia thinks that it can buy off um, islands in the Pacific um, in order to get what they want, uh, which is obviously a very white liberal want to kind of gatekeep Australian land that is not their own but that they think they can control, which is a very dangerous um, mindset. Um, And the second representation, which is detrimental, I think, on a very national and personal level, um, is Chris Lilly's Summer Heights High and Jonah from Tonga, uh, in which he puts on brown face and puts on a fob accent and displays a very violent and violently sexual attitude towards friends, family, uh, and teachers. So those kind of representations Australia has come from a very white-centric view and colonial view that the coloniser can do whatever they want and represent and take whatever they want in order to gatekeep land. So that's what I try and explore in my essay and that's what I try to unpack um, and kind of make aware... Um, of the reality that really only brown and black people can create healing dialogues and really only Pacifica and Oceanian people can represent um, our communities for ourselves in whatever form that we choose. So when we talk about this healing, I know we we talked about this at the beginning of the interview, Mm -hmm. but I I would like to focus specifically on these tropes that that exist in and through mainstream media where the Pacific is seen primarily through the lens of um, immigration policy Mm -hmm. um, and nothing else. So it is now, does not have a history. Um, How do the healing dialogues 
are there any examples of work that has been written recently um, that actually heals that? And what does that healing look like? Um, sh- yeah, sure. So um, I talk about in my essay how um, the general word for immigrants kind of in Australia and the general word for Pacifica and Oceanian people in Australia is FOB, which is fresh off the boat, meaning that we came here illegally by boat. But the thing is that's usually not the case for a lot of people and that we generally, outside of um, self-depreciating jokes, don't identify as FOB. So um, in my essay, I talk about reading Ipeli Huofa, who is a um, Tongan academic and prose writer and poet from Fiji. And he coined the word Oceanian as those who were born and committed to the broader Pacific. Um, So I say that Oceanian means the indigenous population and people from the many islands in the Pacific. And then Dongi Lemanu, uh, and this is a very New Zealand uh, word, talks about the term Pacifica, which is to identify those from Oceanian heritage who have migrated to countries like Australia or New Zealand or um, America to create an understanding that we're still um, an indigenous culture and person, but just not from the country that we live in now. So that would be me as a Tongan Australian. So having a Tongan academic explain these words to me was astounding because I'd never heard them before. We usually use the term Pacific Islander, which I think um, does not accurately describe our communities. So then to have a Tongan academic really break it down um, has been fantastic. Um, And to read other Tongans, such as Carlo Miller, and Gonai Helo Seiman, who talk about certain aspects of Tongan culture to cre- that can create literature, such as the giving of the, the lei, which is the flower necklace, and making that into poetry has been healing for me and, as I hope, for other Pacifica and Oceanian readers who, can, who have access to get in touch with those writers. Yeah. So having somebody from your culture talk about your culture and really uplift it, I think is the most personal form of healing we can have. And then outside of that, we create dialogues of healing with other people from other cultures of of brown and black and indigenous cultures. And if we can all get together and kind of talk to each other, kind of for the really first time, um, is also another step forward in terms of healing. Winnie, thank you so much for making time for Accent of Women today. You even spoke about, you know, bell hooks in in talking back, thinking feminist and thinking Mm -hmm. black, you know, the importance of coming to voice, the importance of uh, that transformation from being an object to subject. So I I feel like everything that we've spoken about today um, is encapsulated in that that concept that we've received from from bell hooks. Absolutely. And I think having used bell hooks and having come to really love bell hooks as an academic and a writer again shows that you know people from marginalized cultures and backgrounds can have um, you know a dialogue with each other Um, and the big black thing from sweatshop which you can buy online on our website um, is a step towards that like a physical step towards that Um, so yeah I think it's all 
time that we come to voice, and we are. And um, I'm really excited for what the future holds um, for all of us. Well, thank you so much. I definitely really enjoyed uh, hearing you speak of the girls right up at the Stella Prize. I snuck into that even though I wasn't of age. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> it was much. you and Candy Bowers. I was like, nobody's keeping me out of this conversation. <laughs> Absolutely. And Candy Bowers is amazing to talk to as well. And so we kind of keep in touch on Facebook and it's been really great. Yeah, that's fantastic. Just having those dialogues going. Well, yeah. I, I hope to catch awesome. up with you one time when I'm in, when I'm up in Sydney. And if you ever come yeah. down to Melbourne, please do tell us and come, Absolutely. come visit us. And thank us. you for this um, dialogue as well. It's been uh, really incredible. Well, hopefully it's just the start of many more. Awesome. All right. Have a good night. Thanks, Winnie. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. That was Winnie Dunn, manager and editor at Sweatshop, Western Sydney Literacy Movement, discussing ideas and strategies for assisting young people of colour to tell their own stories on their own terms, using literature and art. But that's all we have time for today on Accent of Women. Accent of Women is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally via the Community Radio Network, with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. If you want to get in touch with the producers of the show, you can write to accentofwomen at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter or like our page on Facebook. If you want to hear the show again or any of our previous programs, you can download the podcast from 3CR's website, 3cr.org.au. And that's the digit three, not spelt out in letters. Go to the Accent of Women page and follow the links to this week's show. And thank you for tuning in. I'm Sister Zai Zander, and I look forward to your company again in a few weeks.